Chapters 29 and 30 of Beautiful Joe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Allison Hester of Athens, Georgia. Beautiful Joe by Marshall Saunders. Chapter 29. A Talk About Sheep miss laura was very much interested in the sheep on dingley farm there was a flock in the orchard near the house that she often went to see she always carried roots and vegetables to them turnips particularly for they were very fond of them but they would not come to her and get them for they did not know her voice they only lifted their heads and stared at her when she called them but when they heard mr wood's voice they ran to the fence bleeding with pleasure and trying to push their noses through to get the carrot or turnip or whatever he was handing them he called them his little south downs and he said he loved his sheep for they were the most gentle and inoffensive creatures that he had on his farm one day when he came into the kitchen inquiring for salt miss laura said is it for the sheep yes he replied i'm going up to the woods pasture to examine my shropshires you would like to go too laura said miss wood take your hands right away from that cake i'll finish frosting it for you run along and get your broad-brimmed hat it's very hot miss laura danced out into the hall and back again and soon we were walking up back of the house along a path that led us through the fields to the pasture what are you going to do uncle she said and what are those funny things in your hands toe clippers he replied and i'm going to examine the sheep's hoofs you know we've had warm moist weather all through july and i'm afraid of foot rot and then there's sometimes trouble with overgrown hoofs what do you do if they get foot rot asked miss laura i've various cures he said paring and clipping and dipping the hoof in blue vitriol and vinegar or rubbing it on as the english shepherds do it destroys the diseased part but doesn't affect the sound do sheep have many diseases asked miss laura i know one of them myself that is the scab oh, a nasty thing that said mr wood vigorously and a man that builds up a flock from a stockyard often finds it out to his cost what is it like asked miss laura the sheep get scabbed from a microbe under the skin which causes them to itch fearfully and they lose their wool and can't it be cured oh yes with time and attention there are different remedies i believe petroleum is the best by this time we had got to a wide gate that opened into the pasture as mr wood let miss laura go through and then closed it behind her he said you are looking at that gate you want to know why it's so long don't you yes uncle 
she said, but I can't bear to ask so many questions. Ask as many as you like, he said good-naturedly. I don't mind answering them. Have you ever seen sheep pass through a gate or door? Oh, yes, often. And how do they act? Oh, so silly, uncle. They hang back and one waits for another, and finally they all try to go at once. Precisely. When one goes, they all want to go. If it was to jump into a bottomless pit. Many sheep are injured by overcrowding, so I have my gates and doors very wide. Now, let us call them up. There wasn't one in sight, but when Mr. Wood lifted his voice up and cried, Black faces began to peer out from among the bushes, and little black legs, carrying white bodies, came hurrying up to the stony paths from the cooler parts of the pasture. Oh, how glad they were to get the salt! Mr. Wood let Miss Laura spread it on some flat rocks. Then they sat down on the log under a tree and watched them eating it and licking the rocks when it was all gone. Miss Laura sat fanning herself with her hat and smiling at them. You funny woolly things, she said. You're not so stupid as some people think you are. Lie still, Joe. If you show yourself, they may run away. I crouched behind the log and only lifted my head occasionally to see what the sheep were doing. Some of them went back into the woods, for it was very hot in this bare part of the pasture, but most of them would not leave Mr. Wood and stood staring at him. That's a fine sheep, isn't it? said Miss Laura, pointing to the one with the blackest face and the blackest legs and the largest body of those near us. Yes, that's old Jessica. Do you notice how she's holding her head close to the ground? Yes. Is there any reason for it? There is. She's afraid of the grub fly. You often see sheep holding their noses in that way in the summertime. It is to prevent the fly from going into the nostrils and depositing an egg, which will turn into a grub and annoy and worry them. When the fly comes near, they give a sniff and run as if they were crazy, still holding their noses close to the ground. When I was a boy and sheep did that, we thought that they had colds in their heads and used to rub tar on their noses. We knew nothing about the fly then, but the tar cured them, and that is just what I use now. Two or three times a month during hot weather, we put a few drops of it on the nose of every sheep in the flock. I suppose farmers are like other people and are always finding better ways of doing their work, aren't they, uncle? said Miss Laura. Yes, my child. The older I grow, the more I find out, and the better care I take of my stock. My grandfather would open his eyes in amazement and ask me if I was an old woman petting her cats if he was alive and it could know the care I give my sheep. He used to let his flock run till the fields were covered with snow and bite as close as they liked till there wasn't a scrap of feed left. 
Then he would give them an open shed to run under and throw down their hay outside. Grain they scarcely knew the taste of. That they would fall off in flesh and half of them lose their lambs in the spring was an expected thing. He would say I had them kenneled if he could see my big closed sheds with the sunny windows that my flock spend the winter in. I even house them during the bad fall storms. They can run out again. Indeed, I like to get them in and have a snack of dry food to break them into it. They are in and out of those sheds all winter. You must go in, Laura, and see the self-feeding racks. On bright winter days, they get a run in the cornfields. Cold doesn't hurt sheep. It's the heavy rain that soaks their fleeces. With my way, I seldom lose a sheep, and they're the most profitable stock I have. If I could not keep them, I think I'd give up farming. Last year, my lambs netted me eight dollars each. The fleeces of the ewes average eight pounds and sell for two dollars each. That's something to brag of in these days, when so many are giving up the sheep industry. How many sheep have you, uncle? asked Miss Laura. Only fifty now. Twenty-five here and twenty-five down below in the orchard. I've been selling a good many this spring. These sheep are larger than those in the orchard, aren't they? said Miss Laura. Yeah, I keep a few south downs for their fine quality. I don't make as much on them as I do on these Shropshires. For an all-around sheep, I like the Shropshire. It's good for mutton, for wool, and for rearing lambs. There's a great demand for mutton nowadays, all through our eastern cities. People want more and more of it, and it has to be tender and juicy and finely flavored so a person has to be particular about the feed the sheep get. Don't you hate to have these creatures killed that you have raised and tended so carefully? said Miss Laura with a little shudder. I do, said her uncle, but never an animal goes off my place that I don't know just how it's going to be put to death. None of you are sending sheep to market with their legs tied together and jammed in a cart and sweating and suffering for me. They've got to go standing comfortably on their legs or go not at all. And I'm going to know the butcher that kills my animals that have been petted like children. I said to Davidson over there in Hoytville, if I thought you would herd my sheep, and lambs and calves together and take them one by one in sight of the rest and stick your knife into them or stun them and have the others lowing and bleeding and crying in their misery this is the last consignment you would ever get from me he said would i don't like my business but on the word of an honest man my butchering is done as well as it can be come and see for yourself he took me to his slaughterhouse, and though I didn't stay long, I saw enough to convince me that he spoke the truth. He has different pens and sheds, and the killing is done as quietly as possible. The animals are taken in one by one, and though the others suspect what is going on, they can't see it. These sheep are a long way from the house, said Miss Laura. 
Don't the dogs that you were telling me about attack them? No, for since I had that brush with Wyndham's dog, I've trained them to go and come with the cows. It's a queer thing, but cows that will run from a dog when they are alone will fight him if he meddles with their calves or the sheep. There's not a dog around that would dare to come into this pasture, for he knows the cows would be after him with lowered horns and a business look in their eyes. The sheep in the orchard are safe enough, for they're near the house, and if a strange dog came around, Joe would settle him, wouldn't you, Joe? And Mr. Wood looked behind the log at me. I got up and put my head on his arm, and he went on. By and by, the South Downs will be changed up here, and the Shropshires will go down to the orchard. I like to keep one flock under my fruit trees. You know, there's an old proverb. The sheep has a golden hoof. They save me the trouble of plowing. I haven't plowed my orchard in ten years, and don't expect to plow it for ten years more. Then your Aunt Hattie's hens are so obliging that they keep me from the worry of finding ticks at shearing time. All the year round I let them run among the sheep, and they nab every tick they see. How closely sheep bite, exclaimed Miss Laura, pointing to one that was nibbling almost at his master's feet. Very close, and they eat a good many things that cows don't relish bitter weeds and briars and shrubs and the young ferns that come up in the spring i wish i could get a hold of one of those dear little lambs said miss laura see that sweet little blackie back in the alders could you not coax him up he wouldn't come up here said her uncle kindly but i'll try to get him for you he rose, and after several efforts, succeeded in capturing the black-faced creature and bringing him up to the log. He was very shy of Miss Laura, but Mr. Wood held him firmly and let her stroke his head as much as she liked. "'You call him little,' said Mr. Wood. "'If you put your arm around him, you'll find he's a pretty substantial lamb. He was born in March.' This is the last of July. He'll be shorn the middle of next month. And think he's quite grown up. Poor little animal. He had quite a struggle for life. The sheep were turned out to pasture in April. They can't bear confinement as well as the cows. And as they bite closer, they can be turned out earlier and get on well by having good rations of corn in addition to the grass which is thin and poor so early in the spring. This young creature was running by his mother's side, rather a weak-legged, poor specimen of a lamb. Every night the flock was put under shelter, for the ground was cold, and though the sheep might not suffer from lying outdoors, the lambs would get chilled. One night this fellow's mother got astray, and as Ben neglected to make the count, she wasn't missed. I'm always anxious about my lambs in the spring, and often get up in the night to look after them. That night, I went out about two o'clock. I took it into my head, for some reason or other, to count them. I found a sheep and a lamb missing. 
I took my lantern and Bruno, who was some good at tracking sheep, and started out. Bruno barked and I called, and the foolish creature came to me, the little lamb staggering after her. I wrapped the lamb in my coat, took it to the house, made a fire, and heated some milk. Your Aunt Hattie heard me and got up. She won't let me give brandy, even to a dumb beast. So I put some ground ginger in, which is just as good, in the milk, and forced it down the lamb's throat. Then we wrapped an old blanket round him and put him near the stove. And the next evening, he was ready to go back to his mother. I petted him all through April and gave him extras, different kinds of meal, till I found out what suited him best. Now, he does me the credit. Dear little lamb, said Miss Laura, patting him. How can you tell him from the others, uncle? I know all the faces, Laura. A flock of sheep is just like a crowd of people. They all have different expressions, and they all have different dispositions. They all look alike to me, said Miss Laura. I dare say you are not accustomed to them. Do you know how to tell a sheep's age? No, uncle. Here, open your mouth, Cosset, he said to the lamb that he still held. At one year, they have two teeth in the center of the jaw. They get two teeth more every year, up to five years. Then we say they have a full mouth. After that, you can't tell their age exactly by the teeth. Now run back to your mother and he let the lamb go. Do they always know their own mothers? asked Miss Laura. Usually. Sometimes a ewe will not own her lamb. In that case, we tie them up in a separate stall till she recognizes it. Do you see that sheep over there by the blueberry bushes? The one with the very pointed ears? Yes, uncle, said Miss Laura. That lamb by her side is not her own. Hers died, and we took its fleece and wrapped it around a twin lamb that we took from another ewe and gave it to her. She soon adopted it. Now come this way, and I'll show you our movable feeding troughs. He got up from the log, and Miss Laura followed him to the fence. These big troughs are for the sheep, said Mr. Wood. And those shallow ones in the enclosure are for the lambs. See, there's just enough room for them to get under the fence. You should see the small creatures rush to them whenever we appear with their oats and wheat or bran or whatever we are going to give them. If we are going to the butcher, they get cornmeal and oil meal. Whatever it is, they eat it up clean. I don't believe in cramming animals. I feed them as much as is good for them, and not any more. Now you go sit down over there behind those bushes with Joe, and I'll attend to business. Miss Laura found a shady place, and I curled myself up beside her. We sat there a long time, but we did not get tired, for it was amusing to watch the sheep and the lambs. After a while, Mr. Wood came and sat down beside us. He talked some more about sheep raising and then said, You may stay here longer if you like, but I must get down to the house. 
the work must be done if the weather is hot what are you going to do now asked miss laura jumping up oh more sheep business i've set out some young trees in the orchard and unless i get chicken wire around them my sheep will be barking them for me i've seen them said miss laura standing up on their hind legs and nibbling at the trees taking off every shoot they can reach they don't hurt the old trees said mr wood but the young ones have to be protected it pays me to take care of my fruit trees for i get a splendid crop from them thanks to the sheep good-bye little lambs and dear old sheep said miss laura as her uncle opened the gate for her to leave the pasture i'll come and see you again sometime now you had better go down to the brook in the dingle and have a drink you look hot in your warm coats you mastered one detail of sheep keeping said mr wood as he slowly walked along beside his niece to raise healthy sheep one must have pure water where they can get to it whenever they like give them good water good food and a variety of it good quarters cool in the summer comfortable in the winter and keep them quiet and you'll make them happy and make money on them i think i'd like sheep raising said miss laura won't you have me for your flock mistress uncle he laughed and said he thought not for she would cry every time any of her charge were sent to the butcher after this miss laura and i often went up to the pasture to see the sheep and the lambs we used to get into a shady place where they could not see us and watch them one day i got a great surprise about the sheep i had heard so much about their meekness that i never dreamed that they would fight but it turned out that they did and they went about it in such a business-like way that i could not help smiling at them i suppose that like most other animals they had a spice of wickedness in them on this day a quarrel arose between two sheep but instead of running at each other like two dogs they went a long distance apart and then came rushing at each other with lowered heads their object seemed to be to break each other's skull but miss laura soon stopped them by calling out and frightening them apart i thought that the lambs were more interesting than the sheep sometimes they fed quietly by their mother's side and at other times they all huddled together on the top of some flat rock or in a bare place and seemed to be talking to each other with their heads close together suddenly one would jump down and start for the bushes or the other side of the pasture they would all follow pale male then in a few minutes they would come rushing back again it was pretty to see them playing together and having a good time before the sorrowful day of their death came End of chapter twenty nine chapter thirty a jealous ox 
Mr. Wood had a dozen calves that he was raising, and Miss Laura sometimes went up to the stable to see them. Each calf was in a crib, and it was fed with milk. They had gentle, patient faces and beautiful eyes and looked very meek as they stood quietly gazing about them or sucking away at their milk. They reminded me of big, gentle dogs. I never got a very good look at them in their cribs, but one day, when they were old enough to be let out, I went up with Miss Laura to the yard where they were kept. Such queer, ungainly, large-boned creatures they were, and such a good time they were having, running and jumping and throwing up their heels. Mrs. Wood was with us, and she said that it was not good for calves to be closely pinned after they got to be a few weeks old. They were better for getting out and having a frolic. She stood beside Miss Laura for a long time, watching the calves and laughing a great deal at their awkward gambols. They wanted to play, but they did not seem to know how to use their limbs. They were lean calves, and Miss Laura asked her aunt why all the nice milk they had taken had not made them fat. The fat will come all in good time, said Mrs. Wood. A fat calf makes a poor cow, and a fat small calf isn't profitable to fit for sending to the butcher. It's better to have a bony one and fatten it. If you come here next summer, you'll see a fine show of young cattle with fat sides and big open horns and a good coat of hair. Can you imagine, she went on indignantly, that anyone could be cruel enough to torture a harmless creature as a calf? No, indeed, replied Miss Laura. Who's been doing it? Who has been doing it? repeated Mrs. Wood bitterly. They're doing it all the time. Do you know what makes the nice white veal one gets in big cities? The calves are bled to death. They linger for hours and moan their lives away. The first time I heard it, I was so angry that I cried for a day and made John promise that he'd never send another animal of his to a big city to be killed. That's why all of our stock goes to Hoytville and small country places. Oh, those big cities are awful places, Laura. It seems to me that it makes people wicked to huddle them together. I'd rather live in a desert than a city. There's Cho... And every night since I've been there, I pray to the Lord either to change the hearts of some of the wicked people in it or to destroy them off the face of the earth. You know, three years ago, I got run down, and your uncle said I'd got to have a change, so he sent me off to my brother's in Cho. I stayed and enjoyed myself pretty well, for it is a wonderful city, till one day some western men came in who had been visiting the slaughterhouses outside the city. I sat and listened to their talk, and it seemed to me that I was hearing the description of a great battle. These men were cattle dealers and had been sending stock to Cho. 
and they were furious that men, in their rage for wealth, would so utterly ignore and trample on all decent and humane feelings as to torture animals as the showmen were doing. It is too dreadful to repeat the sights they saw. I listened till they were describing Texan steers kicking in agony under the torture that was practiced, and then I gave a loud scream and fainted dead away. They had to send for your uncle, and he brought me home, and for days and days I heard nothing but shouting and swearing, and saw animals dripping with blood, and crying and moaning in their anguish. And now, Laura, if you'd lay down a bit of cho meat and cover it with gold, I'd spurn it from me. But what am I saying? You're as white as a sheet. Come and see the cow stable. John's just had it whitewashed. Miss Laura took her aunt's arm, and I walked slowly behind them. The cow stable was a long building, well built, and with no chinks in the walls as Jenkins' stable had. There were large windows where the afternoon sun came streaming in, and a number of ventilators, and a great many stalls. A pipe of water ran through the stalls from one end of the stable to the other. The floor was covered with sawdust and leaves, and the ceiling and tops of the walls were whitewashed. Mrs. Wood said that her husband would not have the walls a glare of white right down to the floor because he thought it injured the animal's eyes. So the lower parts of the walls were stained a dark brown color. There were doors at each end of the stable, and just now they stood open and a gentle breeze was blowing through. But Mrs. Wood said that when the cattle stood in the stalls, both doors were never allowed to be open at the same time. Mr. Wood was most particular to have no drafts blowing upon his cattle. He would not have them chilled, and he would not have them overheated. One thing was as bad as the other and during the winter they were never allowed to drink icy water. He took the chill off the water for his cows, just as Mrs. Wood did for her hens. You know, Laura, Mrs. Wood went on, that when cows are kept dry and warm, they eat less than when they are cold and wet. They are so warm-blooded that if they are cold, they have to eat a great deal to keep up the heat of their bodies, so it pays better to house and feed them well. They like quiet, too. I never knew that till I married your uncle. On our farm, the boys always shouted and screamed at the cows when they were driving them, and sometimes they made them run. They're never allowed to do that here. I have noticed how quiet this farm seems, said Miss Laura. You have so many men about, and yet there is so little noise. Your uncle whistles a great deal, said Mrs. Wood. Have you noticed that? He whistles when he's out about his work, and then he has a calling whistle that nearly all of the animals know, and the men run when they hear it. You'd see every cow in this stable turn its head if he whistled in a certain way outside. 
He says that he got into the way of doing it when he was a boy and went for his father's cows. He trained them so that he'd just stand in the pasture and whistle, and they'd come to him. I believe the first thing that inclined me to him was his clear, happy whistle. I'd hear him from our house away down on the road, jogging along with his cart or driving in his buggy. He says there is no need of screaming at any animal. It only frightens and angers them. They will mind much better if you speak clearly and distinctly. He says there is only one thing an animal hates more than to be shouted at, and that's to be crept on, to have a person sneak up and to startle it. John says many a man is kicked because he comes up to his horse like a thief. A startled animal's first instinct is to defend itself. A dog will spring at you, and a horse will let his heels fly. John always speaks or whistles to let the stock know when he's approaching. Where is uncle this afternoon? asked Miss Laura. Oh, up to his eyes in hay. He's even got one of the oxen harnessed to a hay cart. I wonder whether it's Duke, said Miss Laura. Yes, it is. I saw the star on his forehead, replied Mrs. Wood. I don't know when I have laughed at anything as much as I did at him the other day, said Miss Laura. Uncle asked me if I had ever heard of such a thing as a jealous ox, and I said no. He said, come to the barnyard and I'll show you one. The oxen were both there, Duke with his broad face and bright, so much sharper and more intelligent looking. Duke was drinking at the trough there, and Uncle said, Just look at him. Isn't he a great, fat, self-satisfied creature? And doesn't he look as if he thought the world owed him a living and he ought to get it? Then he got the card and went up to Bright and began scratching him. Duke lifted his head from the trough and stared at Uncle, who paid no attention to him, but went right on carding Bright and stroking and petting him. Duke looked so angry. He left the trough and, with the water dripping from his lips, went up to Uncle and gave him a push with his horns. Still, Uncle took no notice, and Duke almost pushed him over. Then Uncle left off petting Bright and turned to him. He said Duke would have treated him roughly if he hadn't. I never saw a creature look as satisfied as Duke did when Uncle began to card him. Bright didn't seem to care and only gazed calmly at them. I've seen Duke do that again and again, said Mrs. Wood. He's the most jealous animal that we have, and it makes him perfectly miserable to have your uncle pay attention to any animal but him. What queer creatures these dumb brutes are. They're pretty much like us in most ways. They're jealous and resentful, and they can love or hate equally well, and forgive too, for that matter, and suffer how they can suffer, and so patiently too. Where is the human being that would put up with the tortures that animals endure and yet come out so patient? Nowhere, said Miss Laura in a low voice. 
we couldn't do it and there doesn't seem to be an animal mrs wood went on no matter how ugly and repulsive it is but what has some lovable qualities i have just been reading about some sewer rats louise michelle's rats who is she asked miss laura a celebrated frenchwoman my dear child the priestess of pity and vengeance mr steed calls her you are too young to know about her but i remember reading of her in eighteen seventy two during the commune troubles in france she is an anarchist and she used to wear a uniform and shoulder a rifle and help to build barricades she was arrested and sent as a convict to one of the french penal colonies she has a most wonderful love for animals in her heart and when she went home she took four cats with her she was put into prison again in france and took the cats with her rats came about her cell and she petted them and taught her cats to be kind to them before she got the cats thoroughly drilled one of them bit a rat's paw louise nursed the rat till it got well then let it down by a string from her window it went back to its sewer and i suppose told the other rats how kind louise had been to it for after that they came to her cell without fear mother rats brought their young ones and placed them at her feet as if to ask her for protection for them the most remarkable thing about them was their affection for each other young rats would chew the crusts thrown to an old toothless rat so that they might more easily eat them and if a young rat dared help itself before an old one the others punished it that sounds very interesting auntie said miss laura where did you read it i have just got the magazine said mrs wood you shall have it as soon as you come into the house i love to be with you dear auntie said miss laura putting her arm affectionately around her as they stood in the doorway because you understand me when i talk about animals i can't explain it went on my dear young mistress laying her hand on her heart the feeling i have here for them i just love a dumb creature and i want to stop and talk to every one i see sometimes i worry poor bessie drury and i'm so sorry but i can't help it she says what makes you so silly laura miss laura was standing just where the sunlight shone through her light brown hair and made her face all in a glow i thought she looked more beautiful than i had ever seen her before and i think miss wood thought the same thing she turned around and put both hands on miss laura's shoulders laura she said earnestly there are enough cold hearts in the world don't you ever stifle a warm or tender feeling toward a dumb creature that is your chief attraction my child your love for everything that breathes and moves tear out the selfishness from your heart if there is any there but let the love and pity stay and now let me talk a little more to you about the cows i want to interest you in dairy matters 
this stable is new since you were here and we've made a number of improvements do you see those bits of rock salt in each stall they are for the cows to lick whenever they want to now come here and i'll show you what we call the black hole it was a tiny stable off the main one and it was very dark and cool is this a place of punishment asked miss laura in surprise mrs wood laughed heartily no no a place of pleasure sometimes when the flies are very bad and the cows are brought into the yard to be milked and a fresh swarm settles on them they are nearly frantic and though they are the best cows in new hampshire they will kick a little when they do those that are the worst are brought in here to be milked where there are no flies the others have big strips of cotton laid over their backs and tied under them and the men brush their legs with tansy tea or water with a little carbolic acid in it that keeps the flies away and the cows know just as well that it is done for their comfort and stand quietly till the milking is over i must ask john to have their night dresses put on sometimes for you to see harry calls them sheeted ghosts and they do look queer enough standing all round the barnyard robed in white End of chapter thirty